0: The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, Pastor Teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Sunnyvale, California.
1: If you want to, if you have a Bible and you want to turn to First Peter chapter three, I encourage you to do that. For those of you who aren't regulars, maybe you're just visiting today. We've been going through the book of First Corinthians, and we will resume that next week. We're taking a little. Hiatus for a couple of different reasons. One being that I had the privilege to go to Kiev, Ukraine, just recently and taught for a week at the seminary there in a city called Irpin, which is just outside of Kiev in Ukraine. had a wonderful time teaching uh, pastors there who were in a seminary program, just very similar to what we seminary programs we have here, a three-year program for a Master's of Divinity by the way, on the back table, there's just a little summary report that I put, wrote up. I'm going to send that in an email as well to everyone so you can uh, see the opportunities that God gave me most recently in this trip. That was the third time I had been to Kiev, just a, a blessed time. Many of you, since I've been home, let me know you were praying for me and asked me how the trip went. So I did want to just give a few highlights of the trip. can't possibly tell you all that God did, uh, but just some uh, exciting little snapshots or vignettes that might give you a taste of uh, what happened there. And I, I did want to share the Word of God and this use this as a theme for a couple of things I wanted to highlight this morning. First, Peter chapter 3, look at verse 15. This is known by many as kind of the apologetics verse because it has the Greek word. Uh, in your English Bible, it might say defense in, verse, in the middle of verse 15. To make a defense. Some English translations say to give an answer. Uh, The Greek word is apologia. Apologia. There's actually a church called uh, Apologia. Uh, To give a defense. uh, To give an answer. Uh, This word is used by Jesus in Luke. This word is used by Paul in Philippians, the book of Acts, and used by Peter here. Apologia, to, to give a defense, to give an answer. It's used a little differently in different contexts. So let me read that verse. Uh, Peter is talking to persecuted Christians, by the way. They were under duress, being persecuted from a hostile Gentile unbelieving world as they were surrounded by unbelief. And Peter's trying to encourage them. And he does so with this command of verse 15. He says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. That's actually the main imperative or command in this verse. Some people think when they read verse 15, what's the main command or verb in verse 15? Well, it's make a defense. Well, no, it's not. Make a defense is not even a verb, actually, in the Greek. The command or the imperative is at the beginning of the verse, and it's sanctify Christ as Lord. Or literally, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart, Christian Christian assuming they're already believers they already know jesus but it's saying make a renewed effort consciously prayerfully spiritually personally to make sure that jesus christ is the priority in your life he's the motive of all that you do especially as you interact with unbelievers especially when they ask you questions about what you believe and what makes you different priority number one step number one in talking to unbelievers in that situation we call we would call that an evangelistic or a witnessing situation Uh, Priority number one isn't having um, your canned speech memorized. Or the priority is not winning the argument. Or showing them up. Priority number one is getting your own heart right. That's Peter's command here. Set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. That's a deliberate act of humility. Bowing the knee before the Lord Jesus. Primarily, being reminded he is Lord, he is holy. I am fallen, I am sinful. He saved me by... His grace and I deserved none of it. Talk about humbling and bringing your heart where it needs to be in preparation to talking to another fellow sinner. Set apart Christ is Lord in your heart on a very personal level. This is key to effective evangelism and witnessing. And that is the main command. Everything else is secondary to that in this verse. So, when you've got your heart prepared properly, you've got the right perspective, you're not condescending, you're not arrogant, you're not judgmental, you're not Pharisaical, you are humble before God, you have a sincere heart and love and compassion for people who are sinners, who are lost, who haven't yet experienced the grace of God that you have or that I have, because Jesus Christ is Lord, then we are ready to speak on His behalf and testify, testify on His behalf. Uh, So sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. I wanted to read this verse because this is the, the main verse, as I said, of apologetics, Christian apologetics. Just about every single Christian book you'll find that has anything to do with the topic of apologetics will usually refer to this verse at the beginning of the book. Or this verse justifies supposedly everything they have to say in light of this verse in apologetics. And so I went over to Kiev to teach these 11 pastors about biblical apologetics. And so this was a key verse, understanding it properly and making it very practical and real in their lives. And I think we did that together and we highlighted the true meaning of it. It is misrepresented many times or the wrong emphasis is put on this verse when it comes to apologetics. Typically, verse 15, the typical emphasis that's given in the realm of apologetics, if you read apologetics books, uh, if you read apologetics books, usually they're very philosophical. You're dealing with philosophy, typically. And I I hate philosophy because it is so um, difficult and hard to understand. That was one of my most unfavorite classes that I had to take in college was philosophy. It was painful. I didn't believe in purgatory until I took that class in college. Um, But I passed by the grace of God. But apologetics should not be about philosophy. And the reason they get this, middle of verse 15, make a defense. And, and so then we're told, well, apologia. Um, wait, Socrates used that word once in 300 B.C. And he was uh, using it in the context of a formal uh, court case. And so that's what we need to do. As And he was a philosopher. So as Christians, since... Uh, this word was used by Socrates, and we need to be like Socrates. We need to be philosophical and erudite and articulate and formal and like in a legal courtroom setting. And they give this very narrow, nuanced definition of apologia. But it's totally illegitimate because that is not what Peter was talking about 300 years later in the context of Christianity. He wasn't thinking, yeah, do what Socrates the pagan did. Philosophize is you talk with people you disagree with. Not at all. Uh, the word is used totally differently in a biblical context, the same way Jesus used it in Luke, the same way Paul uses it in Romans 1 and Philippians chapter 1 in the book of Acts. Well, what does it mean, apologia? Well, it simply just means to give an answer, to, to answer someone when they ask you a question. That's all it means. So it can be very informal, it can be very spontaneous, it can be very casual, it can be very personal. Uh, it can be very simple in layman's terminology. It doesn't have to be philosophical and esoteric. It just means uh, give a defense or uh, give an answer, answer back. So when unbelievers ask you questions, you as a Christian should always be ready to give an answer back, a legitimate one, a prayerful one, a humble one, a biblical one, a true one, a helpful one, in the right spirit. But we do need to be good stewards and answer the questions. We can't ignore questions from unbelievers or the critics, Always. Um, so give give an answer. So that's all it means. It doesn't mean be philosophical. And so your typical apologists will put an emphasis on that. We need to make a defense. And then they launch into philosophy. And you need to give the cosmological argument, which will take you an hour to explain. And it doesn't use the Bible. Well, no, that's not what Peter's saying. What is Peter saying? Well, here's the point of emphasis. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. Always be ready to give an answer back to who? To everyone who asks you. Well, who are, these? What are these? who are these people and what are they asking? Well, they're, ask, they're unbelievers and they're asking you, the Christian. Well, what are they asking us? Well, everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. So there it is. What are we supposed to recount and give a defense about and give an answer about? It's not uh, the cosmological argument. It is the hope we have. It's really that simple. And if you are a Christian, what is your hope? And your answer better be Jesus, the number one Sunday school answer in the world, because it is three times in this book in the larger context of the book of 1 Peter, he mentions hope three times. And it's all about Jesus. Knowing Jesus and the fact that he saved us is our hope. The fact that he is coming again is our hope. And the fact he's going to raise us from the dead is our hope. That is our hope. It's all about Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done. That's what Peter argues throughout the whole book. And so when Peter says, when an unbeliever talks to you and asks you questions about your hope, answer them. Well, what do I answer them? You just tell them about the hope you have in Jesus. I mean, how wonderful is that? So you don't have to have this long cosmological argument memorized that will take you an hour long. It's very esoteric and detailed and specific and philosophical. It's just you tell your own story. That's all Peter's saying. John Calvin got this right. That's what his commentary says on this. It's just, Christian, tell your story about what Jesus did in your life, what he's doing right now. That is your hope. And he says, so tell the unbeliever about the hope, the hope, which is Jesus Christ in your life. That's he made you different. He saved you. He rescued you. And it's the hope about Jesus. Get this. Now, that is in you, in you, inside you. It's your story. It's very personal. It is. Yes, it is subjective, but it is a true story. You know what this is? Nothing more than giving your testimony. That's what this means testimony testimony simply means to testify to be you are a witness it's the same word as witness you are an eyewitness of what jesus has done in your life turning you from a sinner into a saint and you are an expert on your testimony no one knows your testimony and your story better than you do that's why this is such a an effective means of evangelism and responding to unbelievers who ask you about your faith because you're a master of your own story and you know what jesus has done in your life don't confuse when somebody says well, tell me your testimony. Sometimes people will say, well, hmm, I don't really have a testimony, uh, and, and I don't know when I was a Christian. So when someone asks you, tell your testimony, don't confuse that with when you got saved. Because some people can remember exactly when they got saved. Others, other Christians cannot. So it's not asking when you got saved. When somebody says, tell your testimony, it's about your story, your hope in Jesus and what he's done in your life from the very beginning up until now. And just tell your story, testify it's one of the most powerful ways to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with an unbeliever, and there are examples clearly in Scripture, and those were powerful. I think of those who shared the hope within them, in them, and went and testified simply of their story. Um, the man that got healed in the Book of Acts—he was crippled, and then he got healed by Peter and John, and he, he's just up and he's jumping around and hooting and hollering, "Yippee! I'm healed!" And he got healed in the name of Jesus. That's all he's saying. That was a testimony. Or in John chapter 9, the man born blind. For for decades he was blind, and Jesus healed him instantaneously. And then the man born blind, everybody in town knew he was born blind. They knew him. And he goes around, he starts telling everybody, I can see, I can see. And the Pharisees got angry at him. What do you mean you can see? Who did that? It, all he knew is this man named Jesus healed me. And I believe in this Jesus. And that really made the Pharisees mad. What that man was doing, he was just giving his story his hope in jesus his testimony his personal experience of how christ had changed him And it was a powerful testimony and god used it mightily and the woman at the well in john chapter 4 probably one of the most potent testimonies given of the hope that she had in her she has an interaction with jesus jesus gives her the truth and eventually she her sin is exposed and she believes that jesus is the messiah the savior of the world she is so excited apparently can't hold it in she goes into town in samaria she tells the entire town I met a man named Jesus. He is the Messiah. He knows everything. It is amazing. And it said the whole town of Samaria came and then was trying to find Jesus as a result. And it wasn't because that woman was a scholar. It's because she was just given an account for her story of what Jesus, the hope she had in her. And she shared that with others. So that was... I mean, if you haven't read my 500-page book on apologetics, and most of you probably haven't and never will... uh, because some people read it and said, "Wow, this was kind of hard to read." But yeah, this read kind of like a textbook for seminary. Well, that's what it is. You're right. <laughs> so, let me simplify. The point of the book in biblical apologetics is really an elucidation of 1 Peter 3:15. Uh Apologetics is about sharing your story of what Christ has done in your life and doing it on a very personal level uh, with gentleness uh, towards the person you're talking to, with reverence towards God, with Christ set apart in your heart. And in the midst of your story, you are giving a clear presentation of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. There, now you don't have to buy my book. Uh, That's the story. It's a pretty simple message, isn't it? And telling your story, uh, one of the great things about telling your story, your testimony to unbelievers is it's your story it's personal it's subjective it is real you know it you know the details you know the reality of how jesus has changed you in a way that no one else has you've experienced the change and one of the cool things about sharing your testimony with the gospel in it is nobody can argue with it i'm thinking like uh the greatest anti-theist in the world today is richard dawkins Richard Dawkins he's written best-selling books God the God delusion he doesn't like Christians he doesn't like the Bible he hates God he he calls himself an anti-theist he's he snarls and he's vicious he is and I was thinking boy if I was in a debate with Richard Dawkins I would just do this I would tell my story of how I got saved and the cool thing is he couldn't argue with me he can't say well that's not true because he doesn't know there's he can't argue with my story of what I've experienced that's why this is so powerful When it's interwoven with the gospel of how Jesus saved. So this is the main point that I was trying to communicate to these men in Kiev, uh, in the apologetics class. And they did have to read the book, and uh, we learned other uh, important points about apologetics. But they were just incredibly blessed. Uh, They are finishing up their MDiv program. They've been studying seminary full time for three years. They were all married except for one of them. They had children. They had jobs. They're, They're busy, and they loved the Word. They were enthusiastic. They knew the word, they knew Greek, they knew Hebrew. Uh, they just soaked up the book. I had them read like a sponge. They took quizzes. Uh, we had great interaction. Uh, we, talked, we went over uh, practicing interacting with unbelievers and some of the hardest questions you're going to ever confront as a Christian from a critic, and we practiced those, and they just did a beautiful job, and it was wonderful. So one of the last days I shared uh, what I just shared with you on 1 Peter 3.15, and I said, guys, it's really this simple. One of the most powerful things you can do, to encourage a believer and to witness to an unbeliever is share your story. And I asked them, is there anybody here willing to share your story? Right now, with us right now. Um, and actually, one of the men sitting right in front of me sh- was willing to share his story. His name was Andre. Um, and he shared his story through my translator. And he said he was now in his 50s, but he got saved when he was 25. And, but he grew up for the first 25 years of his life as a hardcore communistic atheist. And he said he was an atheist, a communist atheist from his mother's breast. That's exactly what he said. And he was indoctrinated in that, and he became more and more committed to the cause the older he got. So much so that in high school and post-high school, he began writing papers against religion, against Christianity, against the Bible, in favor of uh, communistic atheism. That's, he was hardcore, And he was just as hard as could be, too, and as blind as could be. And then he said, but at age 25, God changed my life. I said, well, how'd that happen? Andre, well, I, I just heard the simple gospel. Uh, and then he said, you'll never you know, believe where I heard it, but I heard it here in uh, Ukraine on the television from an American TV show from a man named Robert Shuler. You know, some of you are laughing. Robert is, uh was a pastor down in Southern California who was quite uh, controversial and even heretical, but he would speak Bible verses. And that just shows you the power of the Word of God. That was actually his first exposure to biblical truth was verses that Robert Shuler spoke through the television. And that kind of blew him away. And he was taken aback, and the Word of God uh, did its work on his heart and his mind. And then shortly thereafter, he saw this cute girl, and it turns out she was a Christian. Ooh, I, I'm an atheist, but she's kind of cute. So he started befriending her, and she just said, uh, I can't date you, you're not a Christian. And he said, oh, okay, well, tell me about your religion. And so all she did was give him the gospel, and he said he got saved. Boom! And he's been saved for 20 years now. I said, serious? You're a hardcore communist, atheist from your mother's breast. And at age 25, you simply heard the gospel and you got saved like that day and night. And he said, that was it. I said, you mean you didn't get saved by philosophical arguments? No. No pre-evangelism? No. No cosmological argument? No. I mean, just the pure, undiluted gospel of Jesus Christ? He said, that's a true story. I said, amen. Praise the Lord. That is what this class is about, guys. That's what this book is about. That's biblical apologetics, the power of the gospel. And here was a hardcore former atheist who was showcasing exactly what Scripture says. So when Andre was done, then Dimitri, Dima, and we got a picture of Dima, he gave his story. And there's Dima. Now, if he looks like a scary kind of ex-convict murderer (laughs) prison dude thug, that's because he is. Uh, Oh, well, I look just like him. I'm sorry. Um, Anyway. You can't... I'm looking up there because I'm trying to see if you can see this scar that kind of runs through his entire skull and half of his head is missing. But anyway, so Dima starts telling his story through my translator. And Dima said he was born in a uh, quasi-religious home, like Orthodox. That's kind of the uh, religion of the day that reigns supreme over there in Ukraine. And it's not biblical. They don't study the Bible. It's just kind of a cultural Christianity. So he was born and raised in that, but his parents weren't practicing, so he was exposed to a little bit of that uh, traditional man-made religion, but lost interest very early, and so uh, wasn't religious. And so at age 19, he got, he tried opium, and he got hooked on an opium, and he became an addict. And then he got hooked on alcohol and uh, all kinds of drugs, and then he joined a gang. He joined a very vicious, evil... He didn't even want to tell me the horrible things that he did in this gang he, he had been arrested four times he went to court or trial three times and finally on the fourth time he was convicted finally they threw him in jail uh, to protect society and so he had a, like a five-year uh, term and while he was in prison he went into this spiral down into depression because he didn't have access to all of his drugs and his opium and he couldn't handle it and he became suicidal and one time he almost pulled it off and somehow got a very sharp i don't know what it was piece of glass or whatever and slit a major artery in his neck And began to bleed to death, passed out, was going to die. And somebody in the prison actually jumped on him and put pressure on his neck, stopped the bleeding, and they got the paramedics. The paramedics were able to revive him, came back to life, threw him back in jail. Shortly thereafter, some simpleton Baptist preacher evangelist chapel dude came to the uh, prison and was having chapel and gave the simple gospel. That's it. And Dimitri said he heard the gospel for the first time in his life. And he said... He believed. First time he heard it. The first time he heard it, simple gospel of Jesus Christ changed his life. He went from being a sinner to a saint. He said he lost all desire for everything before, it, from opium and alcohol and uh, everything else that he was on, and um, just had no desire. And God radically changed his life in prison. Became a new man. Uh, his mom came to visit him at one point, and they're talking, and she tried to give him cigarettes, and he said, oh, I don't want those anymore. And she's like, what happened to you? You are different. You have changed. What happened to you? So Dima was able to tell his mom what happened. Jesus happened, changed my life. So uh, there wasn't a dry eye in the classroom of apologetics when he told that story. It's like, we're supposed to take a test now? After that, Dima, here, you get an A-plus for the class. You're dismissed. No more homework for you. Um, what an awesome experience to, the, to go to the other side of the world, the hardest place in the world, they say, where the gospel you know, has its greatest critics in communistic atheism and false religion. And it was the simple gospel of Jesus that saved these men. So uh, just that's awesome. Peter's right. Tell your story. Tell them your hope. Give them Jesus. And your hope is simply that... You were born like everybody else, and I was born as a sinner because of Adam's sin that we inherited. God hates sin. He's a holy God. We are separated from God because of our sin. We are not in his family. We're enemies of God. We're born that way, and Jesus said you must be born again from on high and spiritually, and you can't do it yourself. You can't save yourself from your sin. And if you don't get saved from your sin, you will be punished with God's wrath because he's a holy God, and it's deserved wrath but god is good he's gracious he's loving and so he sent the solution he sent jesus into the world and jesus came down jesus was eternal god came down took on a body lived a perfect life for 33 years willingly went to a cross and got executed as a criminal on the cross even though he never did anything wrong he did it willingly he did it knowingly as a substitute for sinners god the father was pouring out his wrath on jesus when jesus was hanging on the cross and jesus knew he was doing this for sinners and that's why jesus said on the cross father forgive them Or they do not know what they were doing. Jesus died that day on the cross. They buried him. He was in the grave three days. He rose again from the dead three days later in accordance with prophecy. He ascended on high back into heaven. He reigns as king of kings from heaven right now. And is calling out to sinners all over the world. And has been for the last 2,000 years. With the good news of his saving gospel. That if anybody who is a sinner cries out to God their savior in the name of Jesus Christ... Recognizing that they are sinful and that God is the only one that can save them through Jesus' death and resurrection, and they ask God to save them through Jesus, Jesus will answer that prayer. He'll save them instantaneously as they recognize that. And you will have eternal life beginning now in this life. All of your sins will be forgiven, and you'll walk with God the Christian life with the hope of resurrection and being with Him someday. That is the gospel that saves sinners. It is the only thing that saves sinners, it is the solution. So if you don't know Jesus Christ personally, I pray for you and ask you and implore you to consider that, that simple message. Um, because it's the only thing that can deal with the sin and the broken relationship we have with our Creator. Well, with that, in a similar vein, Bob said that you know the book was out, uh, Rescued by Grace. And you have it on the cover of your bulletin there, and a, just a beautiful uh, endorsement from my former pastor, John MacArthur um, was gracious to look at the manuscript and uh, read through it and uh, endorse that. And so we're thankful for that. And there's other endorsements on it that are uh, we're very thankful for. And it's not Cliff's book, actually. It's a GBF book, I call it. And I mentioned that last week, that the dedication is to the saints at GBF. Uh, because, yeah, I wrote three of the chapters, but Derek Brown wrote two of the chapters, and he helped me edit the book. And then the other 14 chapters actually are written by mostly members of GBF. And I have told you time and time again, my favorite part of being a pastor at GBF is hearing the testimonies from our people about how they got saved during baptisms and when people become members. And just, it's been eight and a half years, I'm like, how can I catalog these? How can I recapture these and share these with others? And so it was about a year where it just kind of dawned on me. uh, Why why can't we just uh, put some of these in writing? To bless others and so that 's when the project began about ten months ago and asked uh, some folks to uh, consider writing out their story and they did and uh, the way it came out is just amazing so our members of gbf that that's a gift to you because of the grace gracious, uh, gracious giving of a few people made these books available to give to all of our members uh, and at, there's the patio by the fellowship hall and it'll be there there's four tables and it'll be listed alphabetically and if you're a member family you just go up and give your name and give you a copy of the book, and just trust that you will be blessed as a result. Very thankful uh, for those who contributed to it. Um, and then there are extra copies we're selling today for $10, $10 limited copies, because on Amazon they got it listed at $20. That's not my price. That's uh, what the publishing company listed it as. I, and then hard we don't have any hardback copies today. But, but there are electronic copies. They're like a credit card, and we're making those available for just $3. So if you have a Kindle or whatever, you just... Put it on your computer and get the whole thing for just three dollars today. Making those available for you as well, so uh, we praise God for that. Continue to pray for that work because, like I said last week, it's an evangelistic tool as well because it's got the gospel in there, and folks might read that. Uh, so I want to close with this: If you've got your Bible, go to First Peter three, no, First Timothy three. Sorry, First Timothy three. Uh, today we're just celebrating many different things. Um, God's goodness to us as a local church so it's kind of a special day Uh, catch all grab bag of sorts of uh, different ministries and uh, one of those is an answer to prayer that we've been praying and we've asked you to pray as members that god would raise up other leaders other elders other deacons other servants and uh, god has graciously raised up another elder for us here at our church and that's uh you members know that's peter lamb we're going to have him come up with us in just a second but Uh, I just want to read a couple of verses from 1 Peter 3. It talks about elders in the local church. Uh, Paul says it is a trustworthy statement, verse 1, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. So it's got to start from the desire of the man himself, feeling that supernatural subjective call from the Holy Spirit that maybe God wants you to serve as an elder, pastor, bishop, overseer in the local church. That's where it starts. Then you have to confirm that with other objective qualifications and service in the local church. That's verse 2 and following. Well, then an elder or overseer, because they're the same thing, or pastor, they're all synonymous, then must be, these are mandatory, these are qualifications. By the way, it's not perfection of your life because no one would be qualified then, save Jesus. Not the perfection of a man's life, but the direction of a man's life as we all are short and fallen and sinful and walk with feet of clay as finite humans. But a pattern of one's life must be above reproach. The husband of one wife or committed to one woman. And if he's married, that is his wife. He must be temperate in his thinking. He must be prudent. He must be uh, respected or respectable, hospitable. That's a lover of strangers. Able to teach, apt to teach, has the gift of teaching, whether it's Could be preaching, could be Bible study, could be one-on-one counseling. He knows how to handle God's word, practically. Verse 3, not addicted to wine or alcohol, not pugnacious, not a fighter, but rather he's gentle. He's a peacemaker, free from the love of money. He doesn't go into the ministry for money. You know, there are people that do that. By the way... I'm not going to make any money on this book, just so you know. Some some people think, you wrote a book, you're going to be rich. Well, let's see, this is my third book, and I'm in the hole. How does that work? Uh, I think my problem is I keep giving too many of them away for free. Free from the love of money, verse 4. He must be one who manages his own household well, not perfectly, but he tries to be a faithful steward in his home keeping his children, that's young children, under control with all dignity, verse 5. But if a man doesn't know how to manage his own household, then how is he going to take care of the house of God or the church? Verse 6, he shouldn't be a new convert or green inexperienced. just became a believer. He's got to uh, be a believer for a while so that he will not become conceited uh, and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil, which is pride, because he's immature. Verse 7, and he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, with unbelievers in his job, the neighborhood, wherever he interacts with unbelievers, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So those are some of the qualifications and the main ones uh, there. And so God has mandated and made it very clear through the Apostle Paul that there are to be elders in every church, a plurality of elders and a plurality of qualified elders, elders who are also called shepherds, pastors, bishops, overseers. It's the same thing. There needs to be a team of godly appointed leaders in every church for the good of the church, for the glory of Christ, and for the good of those pastors as well. And so we have now five elders in our church. And, by the way, who's your pastor, Pastor Cliff? Well, my pastors are Pastor Bob, Pastor Tim, Pastor Sam, Pastor Peter. They truly are uh, wonderful shepherds to me in every respect, and that's by God's design. So I want Peter to come up here with Alice and um, just give you a little vignette about them personally, because we're introducing them to the body and to our members, and you need to know who your elders are. And here's a little bit about Peter and Alice. Um, And Peter's been in this process for two-plus years prayerfully, and uh, there was a very specific procedure that we went through here, the qualifications according to the Bible and practically at GBF. You can come on over here, Peter. Um, uh, An elder in our church, must be called and qualified in light of 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, and 1 Peter 5. He needs to be a member of our church. Uh, He must undergo a specific procedure of training and preparation, concluding with a comprehensive ordination, council, meeting, or oral exam given by the elders, exemplifying competency in all areas of the exam in light of the Bible. In other words, he's going to be an elder, so hopefully Peter knows something about the Bible. That's the point. And Peter passed. It went on for a couple hours. Um, Wait, is that a scar I see you still have there, Peter? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, He must be unanimously recommended to the members of GBF by the elders for peripheral consideration as an elder, and we were unanimous, the elders were. And we did commend them to our members. And for three weeks, we wanted to solicit feedback from our members about Peter, as far as they knew Peter, interactions, uh, times they've interfaced with him or See him at all in ministry, that kind of a thing. And so we weren't looking for just, you know, criticisms or whatever, but also affirmations. And there was. Uh, there was a tremendous amount of feedback uh, commending Peter that indeed this was God's will for our church. So that was wonderful. So that went on for three weeks. And uh, Peter is now an elder. And so now we just want to formalize that through the laying on of hands, we believe is a precedent set in the New Testament of recognizing publicly elders pastors in the church but a little more uh more about peter personally um they have been married for about 31 years three grown children two of the children are here today right yeah peter's got family and friends today thank you for being here to support them on such an important day uh peter's 55 oops was i supposed to say that peter is 55 (laughs) old and has been a believer for 20 years plus he and Alice have been at GBF for more than seven years. So they've been here a while. He was born in Hong Kong, moved to America when he was eight. Alice was also born in Hong Kong, came to America when she was 10. They both grew up in the Bay Area, met at a backpacking trip with college friends. That's a wonderful story. Ask Peter about it sometime. Uh, Peter received his Ph.D. in engineering. He's Dr. Peter from the University of Illinois and today works as a project manager, manager. Prior to coming to GBF, Peter served in leadership and many other roles in a Chinese Christian church in San Jose. Uh, Since coming to GBF, he and Alice have been actively serving in ministry in several areas. Alice served for many years in children's ministry right here at GBF. And for the past five years, this blew me away when you told me it was five years. For the past five years, has been hosting the Friday night Bible study in her home in Sunnyvale. Now, if you host anything in your home... uh, those of you who have done that, you realize that it doesn't take many weeks or months before it gets wearisome? Or, anyway, uh, so the fact that she's been doing it for five years, that is the perseverance of the saints. Thank you so much. That is a ministry and a blessed one. Thank you, Alice, for doing that. It's awesome. Um, and those who have been going to the Bible study, almost all of them have talked to me about Peter and Alice and their wonderful ministry. Um, Peter has been teaching... Uh, That Bible study, Peter also currently leads one of the men's small group discipleship groups, has been uh, an adult Sunday school teacher, and has been assisting in men's ministry, having been a regular teacher in the rotation for the Sunday morning meetings. Uh, They also help out regularly with the setup early Sunday mornings. Um, So that's just a little bit about Peter and Al. So we are thankful for you, Peter. We praise God that he uh, raised you up. It's been wonderful uh, getting to know you the last seven years. And you as well, Alice. And so now we would like our elders to come up and we're going to lay our hands on Peter and uh, pray for, actually, Peter and Alice and their ministry and God's blessing. So uh, continue to be in prayer for Peter and Alice as well. Bob Douglas, he's not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but every once in a while he says something profound. And I think it was the week before we started this church, Bob said, okay, y'all. You know, if we're doing something great or God's doing something great, you can be sure that the devil's going to be on the attack. And Bob was right. Uh, We've seen that time and time again, and we warned Peter of that. God's raising you to uh, a level that Satan's not happy about. So one of the things you can specifically pray about is protection from satanic oppression and and everything else. Um, And God will answer that prayer. So keep in mind. Let's go ahead and we're going to commit them to the Lord in prayer.
2: Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this special Lord's Day where we can consecrate our dear brother Peter and his wife Alice as well. But thank you, Father, for aligning Peter's desires with your calling. Lord, we are so blessed to have Peter as uh, one of our elders. It's been a long process, and he has demonstrated patience and faithfulness and perseverance through that whole time. Father, thank you that you delight in using mere men for your great work. Father, uh, I pray very specifically that you would continue to bless Peter's marriage with Alice. Lord, you have sustained their love for 31 years. What a blessed testimony that is. And we ask for many, many more years, as long as you would allow. Father, allow them to continue to grow in their love for each other, that their love might be a testimony to others of your great love for them. Father, uh, protect both of them uh, in uh, in the days to come. I just thank you, Father, that uh, you will use our brother and sister mightily for your good purpose. We pray this in Christ's
3: name. Our gracious Father, we just thank you for raising peter up a strong man of god uh, he has served so well for many years already here at gbf and thank you for as pastor cliff has said planting that desire in him raising him up bringing him to us we've been in prayer for more elders for quite some time and we thank you and praise you and this is a great day uh, recognizing peter but celebration father uh, of your blessing i know peter will be a blessing to the entire body Uh, as pastor cliff shared uh, many of those who uh, during that three-week process as we brought it to the body spoke fondly of peter and uh, and uh, in detail we thank you we look forward to peter being among us as an elder i do pray father that you will continue To lead him. Let him be guided by your spirit in all that he does. Let him lean on you. Uh, It is a difficult task, and he will be attacked spiritually. We know that. Sometimes those attacks come from even within the body, outside the body. Sometimes it'll be uh, pressures from the home. Father, just be with him, strengthen him, allow him the grace and mercy and let him continue to come to you and call upon your name and as he walks uh, amongst the body again let him be led by spirit as he counsels talks with others listening to them just obeying and, and being guided by you in every step, Father. these things I pray in your son's name
0: and father we want to um, pray for Peter in his personal walk with you. Um, he First and foremost, he is uh, your child. He, he has a relationship with you, uh, all because of you loving him first. Um, I pray that he would continue to develop his relationship with you and that he would spend time in your word on a regular basis, that he would continue to... Uh, to pour out his heart before you in prayer. Uh, I pray that uh, his, his, uh, the pattern of his life would be one of uh, growing more and more like Jesus, being conformed to the character of Jesus, uh, being transformed personally in, by his own uh, renewed mind because of, because of what he uh, learns from your word, because of the Holy Spirit working within him. So we pray for his personal sanctification and, and the strength of his relationship with you. And we also pray that that would would um, extend to his relationship with Alice as well in in the home. May he be a a, um, a husband that serves her, that uh, that loves her the way that Jesus loves the church. And may May you um, use this as a basis for his service in the church and his service for you. Um, As Bob already mentioned, there will be attacks. Satan doesn't like what's happening right now. And uh, we pray for um, your protection. We have great confidence and hope because he who is in Peter is greater than he who is in the world. So... Uh, with, with great confidence that we we pray this uh, and and god may you may you um, keep him strong may you give him the joy of uh, serving you may you uh, always give him a servant's heart as he interacts with with Alice and and with his family members and and with the the sheep here at the church um, so we ask for all this uh, in jesus name
1: Amen. Father, I pray for Peter as well. Thanksgiving, um, a time of rejoicing. I do pray, Lord, also for our church body. Um, We, the sheep, we have a responsibility to elders that you have appointed, and uh, as your word says to the church, to obey your leaders and submit to them. And that's a high calling. That's against our nature. But I do pray that you'd help our body and especially our members take that seriously, they would be willing to obey and submit to Peter's leadership where it's appropriate when he's being a faithful steward of you. Um, Knowing, we're reminded that his responsibility is to keep watch over their souls as an elder, as those who will give an account. So let the elders, uh, and now Peter, do this with great joy. Let him have joy in his ministry as an elder and not grief, for this would be unprofitable to the sheep. So always remind us of that practical truth and our obligation. Also help Peter in the transmission, uh, transition to the elder team of many new things and uh, preserve our unity, but also uh, give him conviction, discernment, boldness, courage to speak up when he needs to speak up, to uh, balance our thinking when that is appropriate um, and make him truly a part of the team and that we're on the same page and in sync for your glory and the good of this church in keeping with revelation you've given us in your word as we're directed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, but again, we just thank you for Peter and Alice. Your hand of blessing be upon them, their family. And we thank you for this day as we commit them to you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's hear it for Peter. and Amen. Amen. God bless.
0: Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, please visit our website at gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.